Australia are away. Sit back and enjoy the stroke play of Meg Lanning. This is excellent batting by Ash Gardner. Jonathan strikes again. She's on a hat-trick. She comes at Molyneux. Catch is taken by Perry. The Australian women's cricket team win their fifth Hello and welcome to the Scoop We Are The Cricket podcast dedicated to the women's game. This WBBL Finals preview episode with Mel Jones is brought to you today by Weber. Feed your curiosity with the new Weber Q range. Mel Jones, welcome back to the Scoop podcast. Great to see you as always. Um, reminder to all our fans out there that this finals preview is brought to you by our good mates at Weber. MJ, starting off with a little softball question as usual. Out of all the players in the WBBL, I know you're good mates with a lot of them, which player do you think you would most want to um, cook you up a big barbecue feast on their Weber? <laughs> cook up a bar? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to have to go someone well, – it's probably a, a bit of a mix, isn't it? Like I know Grace Harris loves a burger, so she's got to at least know how mm. to cook a burger. No, probably not. I won't go there. <laughs> we know that Molly Strano and I are good mates. Um, she's got an Italian background, so I know there will be plenty of food if Molly cooks. So she's definitely got that in her as well. Okay. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a bit of a tough one. And I, I reckon randomly I think Megan Shute for some reason would absolutely okay. boss Weber barbecue. She'll be stoked to hear that. Entree, <laughs> main and dessert, they can, they can have a turn. Excellent. So we have got our top four, the uh, Strikers, Scorchers, Thunder and Heat. Do you think we have the four best teams in the comp playing finals? Um, oh, look, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because you sort of look at the, the four teams and they've come through uh, in different ways, and that's tournament-style play. Um, I think what it does say, though, is that if you make it through to the finals off early wins in the tournament, you can have a little bit of a stutter but still sort of regain. If you if you do well at the start and then you're sort of tailing, it makes it pretty tough to sort of try and find a little bit of confidence, and that's um, the thunder mm. and the heat at the moment. But, yeah, for, for those that just missed out, so the Hobart Hurricanes and the Sydney Sixers, they were great at the back end. Um, they just left themselves far too much, far too much to do. So it's just, I guess, a lesson learnt for teams is that that's how you get through to finals, isn't it? You've got to be reasonably consistent throughout, but you've really got to make sure that you get some good wins and under your belt in that first half of the season. So, so looking back on it all, I, I probably do think that the the best four in there, Brisbane, have been consistent all from the last six seasons. Um, Thunder, what a miracle turnaround! Um, and the Scorchers okay. and, the, and the Strikers have been great. Yeah, so let's have a look at that first match, Mel. We've got the Brisbane Heat versus the Sydney Thunder in, in the Eliminator at the Wacker. As you mentioned, it's been kind of a funny funny entrance to the final for both these two teams. Um, I think, yeah, the Thunder have lost their last three and the Brisbane Heat's uh, snapped their three-match losing streak against the Thunder. So should be an interesting matchup. What do you think is going to be the key for both these teams if they want to progress? Yeah, it's like I mentioned, I mean, you look at the Sydney Thunder, no team has finished last the season before and then gone on to win it. Um, so they sort of cha- have that challenge ahead of them. And, of course, they've also missed out on hosting this, these rounds as too. So they would have been absolutely gutted. So then it's additional travel. Um, the Brisbane Heat decided to go home first before then fight to find out where they were travelling to, so have that little bit of extra rest at home. So they both have those sort of travel um, issues coming in. They're both probably looking at, you know, do we – well, Thunder, do we have in England players at the back end of the tournament? Likewise, Brisbane Heat with Heath as well. So they've got all these off-field issues to try and deal with. Um, so if they can sort of get their heads around that and get on, on the pitch, I think for the Brisbane Heat, their inconsistency has probably just been in the way in which 
collectively the team has looked on the field. I think they've been a bit of a roller coaster ride over the last couple of rounds. I mean, individually they've got some of the best players in the competition, um, but it just doesn't feel as if they've just strung together key partnerships or been a bit sloppy in the field, those kinds of things. So if they can get that right, I think it's going to be um, absolutely critical for them. Um, for the Thunder, I mean, you've got Chamari Adipadu <laughs> in the top of, top of the tree. He's probably been, you know, arguably the best overseas player in the competition. Love the fact that they've got two key lefties in the, in the top order for the Sydney Thunder as well. Um, so how do, for me, how do the Brisbane Heat bowlers match up against and change their plans, the left-hand, right-hand combinations for, for the Thunder? Um, and for, for the Thunder in terms of their bowling, Manazai and Cat probably hasn't had a best season with the ball, um, but you look at Spin, Lauren Smith coming back into the side in the last seven games has been brilliant. And then um, Sam Bates, who hasn't still, you know, trying to look for that 100 wickets, but she has been miserly. So there's pressure there as well. So some fantastic sort of group matchups, batters versus bowlers, but also individual matchups as well. Yeah, I know the, um, the Brisbane Heat obviously have so many batting options and it feels like they've kind of been shuffling things around pretty much every match. Georgia Vole was at three, now she's at nine, I think, in their last game. Do you, do you think they maybe could have been a bit more consistent with that there or do you, do you like the way they've been trying to play around with it? Yeah, it, it depends a lot on the player's personality and what the sort of the roles were laid out at the start of the season, I think, from Ashnovki. So if, if the coach comes in and is really open with the communication on this is how we're going to play this season and everyone's on, on board with that and understands it, um, that makes that shifting around so much easier for players. Now, as an old school bat, do you want to know where you're playing and, and each week come out and just go, yep, I know this must be Yeah, of course, that's going to be a lot easier. But the, the game has shifted so much, hasn't it? And I think that's the... The beautiful thing of the um, WBBL too is that we're finding new ways to win. Adelaide Strikers have been super, super consistent with their team over the last few years and that's created that success. Um, but teams have shuffled things around. Strikers, I'm sorry, the Scorchers have done that with Sophie Devine and the like. And they're still winning games as well. So it's all about that communication piece and making sure that the players are completely on, on board with it. And Mel, you mentioned uh, everyone's favourite Chamari Adipatu uh, before. Absolute <laughs> masterstroke from the Sydney from the Sydney Thunder. Crazy to think that she didn't get picked up initially. From your perspective, Mel, what makes her so good um, play, and what makes her so good to watch? Yeah, um, she, she almost reminds me of Haley Matthews not getting picked up in the first round of the Women's Premier League, and then comes back and has yeah. you know play of the tournament style style performances. Um, and, and I can see it. In a little way, Chamari Adipati, if you look at her domestic results in the WBBL in the past, 2002 wasn't fantastic internationally. Um, so there's probably just a little bit of, you know, for teams, where does, where does she fit in if we're going to go for those big gut all-rounders um, and big power hitters at the top when Devine's gone and Wyatt was in and out and that's Silver Brunt, Hayley Matthews. Like you get why those players were picked up initially. Mm. Um, I think for Lisa Kitely, though, that if you get that opportunity on the second time around, you definitely take it because her international form against the last game against the Kiwis in the series against England was outstanding. And I think when you look at the the lineup for the Sydney Thunder too, she can slot in at the top if Phoebe Litchfield comes down at three. And we've spoken about this on air. She's the big dog, and I think she really loves that. She's done it for Sri Lanka for so many times. She averages thirty eight at you know almost one hundred and twenty against Australia and Australia. So you know that she can combat those conditions and that kind of attack as well. So I think it was just that environment for her to say, you're the player to go out there and get us some fantastic starts. Off you go. We've got your back. 
we're with you. And that's what we've seen right throughout the tournament. Dick, and so awaiting the winner of the Eliminator will be the Scorchers. How are you feeling about where they're at at the moment? Yeah, they're, 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 they're that team that you're just always sort of looking over your shoulder a little bit and going, you know, who's coming and what kind of form are they in? Because, you know, with Mooney and Divine, regardless almost of where Divine bats at the moment, that's one, one of the big debates, is that you've got two of the most dynamic but completely different batters at the top of the order. And then all of a sudden, you know, breakout season for Maddie Dart too, and I think she's known her role as well. And then so you just know that if those two, particularly Mooney and Divine, get away and they set a total, it becomes really, really tough because their bowling unit is really starting to click as well and they've got um, a wonderful balance between the pace um, and spin. Um, and so, yeah, so I think they're just a well-balanced t- team. And I, I guess a shout-out to Beck Grundy too as first-time coach too to be able to, manage all the fact that they she'd lost Wyatt coming in, didn't know, you know, that was sort of throwing things up up in the air a little bit. Then she gets Nat Brunt but misses the first couple of games. She's got these young players in there that are starting to step up in Ainsworth, Dark and Edgar. So I think she's been able to really manage that, plus the additional travel that the Perth Scorchers have to do, which we talk about every season, um, manage injuries, all those sorts of things. I think she's done a, a fantastic job as a first-year coach. And we know um, if they do get through the final, they obviously lose Nat Brunt, Amy Jones, Lauren Winfield-Hill has hung around and, and can be available for them. But mm-hmm. how much could that disruptive could that be if Sophie Devine's shuffling between opening or in the middle order just over the next couple of matches? Uh, for Sophie, I don't think it would be disrupting. She's just like, right, just put me in wherever and I'll try and get the job done. I think for the rest of the team, though, um, as a unit, it's probably it really is disrupting when you sort of know that. I thought I thought Amy Jones is it's the best I've seen her play sort of tournament style in in the hundred in um, in the WBBL over you know the last five years kind of thing. It was I thought she was absolutely brilliant for them um, with the bat. She was pretty handy for them in the field too without without the gloves. So that's a tricky spot to to fill. Nat Silverbrunt, Nat Silverbrunt, how do you replace you know world class? all-rounder, um, and then Lauren Winfield-Hill who can sort of manage that opening bat. She's got just that, that cricket smarts and to have someone like that around younger players I think is really, really important. So they are three very, very big names, but they knew they knew that right from the start. So they've got, they'll have plans in place. I don't know what they are, but they would have <laughs> talked about it. Um, and then it's it's over to the, to the locals and, and the domestic players to say, right, well, you've got us here, we'll, we'll finish things off. Now we've covered off the Eliminator and the Challenger Finals, let's take a look at the WBBL finalists, the Adelaide Strikers, all thanks to Weber. Feed your curiosity with the new Weber Q range. Yep, yep. And so looking ahead to Saturday night, the final, it's the defending champs, Mel, who have locked in um, top spot and they'll host uh, the final at Adelaide Oval. Um, seems like the strikers are just peaking at the right time. Do you think anyone can beat them? Uh, oh, someone can always beat them, but, <laughs> gee, you're going to have to be absolutely outstanding at the moment aren't you and and what I love about the strikers is they got challenged they went through to the an away final um at the Wacker against the Perth Scorchers and lost that match and then they realized you know what it takes to get through to a final and away final and then they adjusted and shifted and then the next year away final and they win it away at North, at North Sydney Oval and now all of a sudden this is different for them isn't it because they're now the hunted and people are coming after them um, and they've, they've managed that so well right throughout the round games. But this is different for them now coming in for a home final at the Adelaide Oval. I think there's going to be a super crowd there. I think it's going to be absolutely heaving. So then all of that added expectation and just managing that coming into into the week as well, that's, that's completely different for them again. So I think that's going to be their biggest challenge on field. 
think they've got you know most bases covered. Laura Volvat's starting to find some some runs at the top of the order. Um, their spin unit's been brilliant. I mean, even Barsby has only bowled about twenty five overs, but when she's come on, it's just done what's needed to be done, what's needed for them as well. So, I think they've been great in the field. I think there's been a real energy about them too. So, can anyone beat them? Well, yeah, not too sure who though. <laughs> it feels like Darcy Brown's just come back in at the right moment for them too. She's got her really, as well, yeah. <laughs> I think she's only played one or two games, but she's looked really good too. So she just slots back in and yeah, yeah. Look, and and that's it's, it was probably if you're getting really picky, the missing piece because as a bowling unit, you probably you want that out and out quick. You want all the different types of spin options, and then you got your medium paces as well. So Darcy's coming in just makes it a, a pretty daunting uh, 11 to be coming up against, doesn't it? And are we all prepared to eat our words regarding Bridget Patterson, who's had an outstanding season as wicketkeeper for the Adelaide Strikers? <laughs> what a move, Luke Williams, hey? <laughs> just give him coach of the year for that. I just, like it was interesting too because I spoke to a lot of different types of people about this because, you, you know, you get your own sort of thought and you think, well, I don't, I don't know about that. And then you speak to wicket keepers <laughs> and you speak to, you know, batters, middle order bats, and you speak to coaches and players. And pretty much every person's like, oh, I don't, couldn't they have gone after, a, you know, a, I don't know, Richard Gosh and then managed that or done something different? Well, humble pie. <laughs> I'll the Weber. I know you can cook pies in the Weber. I've worked that one out as well. Um, so, yeah, custard, cream, the full bit on top of it and just eat away. Um, she's been great. And But the other thing too is the bowling unit's been they just, keep, they just keep feeding her opportunities. She's done the job to take them as well. But, um, yeah, when you get that amount of stumpings in the year, you know the spinners are going well. Absolutely. And just looking at the comp in general, we've seen some um, young players come out and, you know, really impress in their first seasons. Players like Ainsworth, as you mentioned, uh, Kate Pelly, Millie Illingworth, and Charlie Knott, obviously a bit more experienced but had a real breakout year. Um, what have you, you made of some of the young talents in the comp? Chloe Ainsworth, like you look at her, she this is her first season. She's in team of the year. Only one <laughs> other player has done that, Darcy Brown. So that's kind of a nice little blueprint, isn't it? <laughs> if, a, if a quick can come in and, and sort of, you know, burst onto the scene. That's exactly what you remember. You can, guys, remember you saw all of Darcy Brown in that year and she had pace and she was mm. swinging the ball and Amy Satterthwaite's getting all cleaned up and all these, you know, top world-class um, batters going, what do yeah. I do? And that's exactly what um, Ainsworth has done. Um, she's got passion. You know, she's got a skill set. She's still honing it. You, you can just sort of see she's here at the moment. You're just thinking, where is she going to go? That's that's super, super exciting. Um, and, yeah, the other ones you mentioned as well, Illingworth, you look at her and you know, this this stat was from a couple of weeks ago, but on average she had the highest speed throughout the tournament at 114 kilometres an hour. So it's not just a little burst of pace. She's keeping it up there for, for a young bowler, just sort of, you know, working away into understanding the art of, of fast bowling. So, again, you sort of go – she can find a couple of extra yards and, and, and work out her skill set as well. That's exciting. And one that's not young but young in the competition, mm. I'm going to put in Mashangwe as well because yes. you, you think about oh. young is in sort of experience too and she hasn't had a lot. You know, she was around the, the squad last year but didn't play a bunch of games. So, you know, she comes in, bowls in every phase of the game, you know, bowls ahead of some of the, you know, Wellington at times and, um, and, and you go, she's just at the top of a mark 
and you got to look quickly because it's the world's shortest run-up. Um, <laughs> she just looks like she knows what she wants to do and how to do it, which is which is great as well. Yeah, so good. We had actually um, Mushy on the uh, pod last week, and we think we might be Mushy's <laughs> new biggest fans. She was There's a long list, I think. <laughs> what a story. <laughs> What a story! Yeah, well, we had Ed uh, Ed Rainsford in the in the Cottons box with us with Fox and uh, another Zimbabwean yeah. cricketer, and he he was just glowing about her resilience and her drive and her just her passion to get out of her comfort zone to to develop her own yeah. game and, and where she'd come from to where she is now. Um, yeah, it's it's a magnificent story, outstanding story. And Mel, so we've sort of touched on the finalists, uh, but now let's have a look at um, the four teams who missed out. Starting with the Sixers, who had actually a really strong finish to the season, and like it kind of looked like they um, found their best form, and they just left their run a little bit too late. Yeah. Um, feels like they'll be maybe ruining um, start to the tournament they had. Hundred um, percent. It's a little bit of a shock to the system. It's like a big slap across the face, though, and you lose. One Eccleston, so all of a sudden your whole draft process gets gets thrown out, and you're almost trying to replace two for one one there a little bit, aren't yeah. you? And then um, Elisa Healy's finger after you know round one, so that shakes things up. And I know Charlotte Edwards is one of the best coaches in the world, um, and that wouldn't have faced You know, she'd just keep it calm. That's two big big names to try to, to try and fill. And then they just had those couple of senior players that didn't find their best form for the year. So it was tough for that top order with Bates and Burns trying to find the combinations. They'd swapped over the openers to try and manage it all. Brown was taken out of her best spot probably at seven where she can hit a bit of power and put up the order. So that was always going to be um, a little tough for them. I, th- I think what they did find though, and it'll be interesting for next year, with Eccleston hopefully um, fit is that Chloe Tryon probably showed what she can do at the you know in that sort of number you know six or seven spot depending on you know the overs coming in um, and I think you know that's I think that's allowed her a little bit of confidence to say okay yeah I know what I can do in these kind of competitions as well and then yeah they're, they're you know their bowling unit probably you know didn't stand up completely under under the pressure sometimes um, Gardner was great with with wickets but it just goes to show that when you know a couple are out of form or not on fire on the day you need players to step up and they didn't have that at the at the start of the tournament um at the uh the bottom of the table was um probably a team we didn't pick to be there with the the renegades just the two wins with a, a team that has Humphrey core Hayley matthews tammy beaumont in there um where to now for them and what do they have to do to try and get themselves back into finals yeah well they get two of their homegrown victorian domestic players fit and firing don't they Valemic back in, bowling pace. Um, Soph Molyneux, captain, top order lefty, left arm orthodox spinner. And again, that just changes the dynamics pretty quickly, doesn't it? Um, so you get those players back in, you try and keep that sort of those overseas players. Hayley Matthews, I mean, I think she was just tired. She was burnt out after 12 months of just absolutely bossing every competition <laughs> she played in. Um, and that's always tough. And so that's... That's something that, you know, coaches and players need to be, you know, pretty mindful of. You know, could they have rested her for the first couple of games like Amelia Kerr did and just said, I just need a little bit of a break and then you'll have me at my best for the majority of the rest of the game. I mean, they're all the questions that Simon Helmut will probably, you know, ask himself and, and, the, and the leadership group as well. But there's still some really exciting things. I mean, Sarah Kennedy, if we talk about uh, Chloe Ainsworth, you whack Sarah <laughs> Kennedy in that conversation as well. 16 years of age. <laughs> just got presence, left arm quick, can hoop it around, 
Zola, yeah, I'm going to bounce you first of all. Just this kind <laughs> of approach, and you just go, you you want to hang on to <laughs> hang on to players, players like that when when they come in. So I don't think it's all doom and gloom. And the other thing with the Renegades too, I think for their first seven games, they they didn't score under. It was about, I think it was about 145. So it wasn't as if they were performing, you know, horrendously with the bat. Mm. They, they tried to they fell short in a big 180 odd chase, so they were there and thereabouts. But I think it was midway through the comp, um, and they had had a real shocker. And I think that's when you know they, they went close, 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 close for a while, had the shocker, and then it was just really hard for them to just to regain any confidence. Similar spot, the Melbourne Stars. I don't know what we're doing down here in Melbourne. Um, <laughs> the Stars. The Stars, they again had some really strong individual performance throughout the season, um, looking at Sophie Day and Annabella Sutherland, um, outstanding with the ball. Um, Just seems like things didn't really click um, with their batting order. Yeah, it's an interesting one too. Like you look at Meg Lanning starts the the season as captain too. Um, So she's at the top of the order. Capsie, Dunkley, Boucher and then then Sutherland. And they would have probably been hoping that Jess Flintoff would have been back post, having slash yeah. back to sort of slot into that middle order as well. When you look at that, you think, that's not bad. You know, there's a lot of people, yeah. you know, who've seen a lot of cricket going, I think, you know, they should be in the in the four this year. You know, if you're overly critical, do you say, you know, three internationals from the same country and still relatively junior in terms of their international experience? You know, it's not like getting a head mm. of night to come into your side who's got, you know, wealth experience yeah. kind of thing. So did they completely get that that part right in the drafting? Um, on the flip side, they could have come out and smashed a 1,000 runs and, you know, you'd be saying, yes, yeah. they didn't get it right because it's this new, brave, fearless kind of way. So <laughs> yeah. um, three quality players, didn't see the best of them, um, but I, we certainly will over the next couple of years. I think the standout for me was... One Sophie Day, like just out, and she played so well. She we had her on comms the other night, and she said Meg Lanning in year one, and the confidence that she gave her as a player late into cricket to bowl yeah. well in tricky conditions meant that she could really star and shine this year. I thought was was outstanding. And then yeah. Annabelle Sutherland, first player to go multiple seasons of hitting two hundred runs and getting twenty plus wickets, and then the captaincy at the back yeah. end of the season when you lose someone like Meg Lanning. And, again, it was that presence on the field. You can watch her and she was loving it mm. without showing that she was loving it or stressed. And, um, yeah, yeah, so that, I think for Australian cricket that's that's fantastic to, to see someone get that opportunity and really, really grab it as well. How good was it to hear Sophie Day uh, <laughs> telling the story about jumping on the Melbourne Stars <laughs> tram? So good. I lost it. I, was, <laughs> I almost forgot we're on comms, you know, like said. <laughs> but for her to say, you know, living in, in the CBD that she usually jumps on and trains yeah. trains. trains <laughs> But to even think, fully kitted up, yeah, I'll, and the tram driver saying, well, looks like we've got one of the Stars players on board today, all the best, and then she's just absolutely dying of embarrassment. I thought it was, I thought it was brilliant. Oh, so good. All righty, Mel, to finish us off, um, you know we love doing these questions to you. We want to ask uh, for your boldest finals prediction. 60,000 at the Adelaide Oval. Woo-hoo. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Mel yeah. Jones, always a pleasure to chat to you. Thank you so much for joining um, joining us on The Scoop um, to preview the WBBL 09 final series. Thanks to Weber. Um, can't wait to see it all unfold. Um, you can catch all the action uh, on Fox Cricket, Channel 7 and KO, and let's get around yeah. it. Who's going to win? Not too sure. Hmm. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. <laughs> 
That's that for our WBBL finals preview. Thanks again to Weber. Feed your curiosity with the new Weber Q range. You can grab tickets to the WBBL final series in Perth and Adelaide at cricket.com.au slash bigbash or tune into the action live and free on Channel 7 or Foxtel or KO.